0: All right, Merry Christmas, church. I want to start us off by saying we are going to simply look at the Christmas story, the traditional Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. Now, as we get into Luke chapter 2 and look at the traditional Christmas story, we're going to look at it a little bit different today. And the reason we're going to look at it different today is because the physician, Luke, who was interviewing eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus, who documented his life, was not writing a Bible story. So when we read the book of Luke, we're not reading a Bible story, we're actually looking at history being documented. And so I think we have to look at this with a historical framework around it. And so anything that's gonna have um, historical credibility. So there's three keys on no matter what it is in life that makes something have historical credibility. So it's eyewitness, There is some sort of uh, written data, or there is physical evidence. So those are the three. But there's also, you can also use anything, a combination of those three, as long as it also involves scrutiny for bias, consistency, and alignment with other historically established knowledge. Okay, so basically what I'm telling you is if you connect dots, things make sense. And we're going to connect some dots in order that the Bible is not a story, but it is documenting history for us. So for us to do this, let me get our minds warmed up, okay? Okay, so we can connect any dot we want to connect with really three, three little hints, just three. And so I'll start us off and I'll give you a pretty easy one. So you're going to guess the historical person based on the historical hints, eyewitness, Physical evidence and data that has been collected and passed along through history, okay, you ready? I'm gonna give them to you and you guess the person. Crazy hair, genius, E equals MC squared. Who is it? That's right, easy, right? That one's easy. Okay, so let me try another one. This time I'm only gonna give you two. So I'm still gonna allow history and time to come together, but I'm only gonna give you two hints, all right? So, ready for this? First United States president, our capitals named after him? George Washington. Yeah, that was easy. Okay. So I'm going to take one that's not maybe so historical, but I would say pretty historical. And so um, I'm going to give you three obscure hints and just see how you can do. So I'm going to go Graceland, King of Rock, Sideburns, Elvis. Of course it's Elvis. Okay. So I did a little, last week as people were leaving, I did a little test with some younger generation and they, we're kind of stumped on some of these. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to create one for just the younger generation. I'm going to use one word, and it's going to give one hint, and it's going to give it completely away. All right, so anyone under 30, this one's for you. You ready? Historically speaking, there's got to be data. There's got to be some sort of physical evidence. There's got to be eyewitnesses. There's got to be something that connects the dots. So here we go. You ready? Connect the dot yourself. Travis Kelsey's girlfriend. (laughs) Ah, see, we're all on the same page. All right, now that we're warmed up, let me take us from— a Bible story to a history book. Luke chapter two, pick up in verse one, it says this to us, it says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world or all the world should be registered. So just pause real fast, I'm gonna do first of all, a decree, I'll come back to that word, but Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, this is Gaius Octavius. This is or other words known as Octavian. Now, he lived from around 63 AD to 14 BC. So, this is a historical figure who walked on the face of the earth. And physician Luke, who is documenting not a Bible story but giving us history, starts us with a historical marker here. And he doesn't just give us a marker, he actually says what he was doing at the time. So, this gives us actually a timestamp as well. I'm going to give us the next verse, it's going to take us deeper into a timestamp. But when Caesar Augustus makes a decree, when he says it, it happened. It was There was no questions asked. It was going to happen. In fact, so archaeologists have actually dug up monuments, plaques, statues even, who actually, it's inscribed on these plaques, statues, and monuments, Caesar Augustus, Savior of the World. So this is how he was titled. So when the Savior of the World gives a decree, you listen to it. Now, take it one step further. There's also um, archaeologists have, have dug up other artifacts, and these are kind of crazy. Some of the plaques actually read um, towards Octavius. So, Caesar Augustus says this it says there was a plaque, and he had every person coming into certain cities had to say this out loud Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Caesar Augustus is Lord. Now, you've heard this if you've been in church a little differently in the past. And it's because there is a historical mile marker. There's actually historically something taking place. And the historical documentation in scripture was actually speaking to the day at the time and the era of what's happening. And so when we begin to see the physician Luke, speaking of the birth of Jesus, doesn't just write a Bible story. He's going to give us a history timestamp. He gives us another one in verse 2. In verse 2 it says, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Okay, so we have a couple things happening here. Quirinius, which was a person, historically documented, historically proven as a person. He was governor of Syria from 6 AD to 9 AD. You can go back to your history books and check it. Now, here's the problem. And I I want to give you this. The first registration. So there are other documents other historical documents outside of the Bible. Although I think the Bible is the most reliable historical document to ever exist. There are other reliable sources outside of the Christian doctrine, outside of the Christian world. One of them being a guy by the name of Josephus. He He was a Jewish historian and military leader. He lived around 60 or 37 AD to about 100 AD. So just shortly after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Josephus was born. So Josephus' work is still very widely, it's widely known today. But he wasn't a Christian, he wasn't a believer, but he spoke directly about Jesus of Nazareth, and he spoke directly about this particular moment. In fact, the first reference that Josephus, this Jewish historian, made about Jesus of Nazareth, revolved around this verse. Now, before I get to what he said, I want to make sure that I'm clear on this, just so everybody in the room is on the same page. There is not a single world religion that exists that denies the existence of Jesus of Nazareth, not one. In fact, the Quran, Islam's holy book, Jesus's name is mentioned 97 times in the Quran. If you know a Hindu, a Hindu will absolutely recognize Jesus as being the ultimate Hindu. If you know a Buddhist, Buddhists will recognize Jesus as being the ultimate Buddhist. So you have to understand that there's not one. I'll take you one step further. There is not a historian not with scholarship. Now, this actually, I'm not talking about a 25-year-old on TikTok. I'm talking about someone with actual scholarship, someone who's actually studied history that will deny the existence of Jesus of Nazareth. He was a real man who walked on the earth. It's indisputable. The evidence is, is indisputable throughout history. But Josephus, Josephus, this military leader, this historian, he documents, he says, Jesus of Nazareth was actually born before Quirinius was governor of Syria. Well, people get worked up about this. They're like, oh, look, there's a contradiction. No, 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 no. If you actually were to take this passage and we were to go to the Greek and interlinear Hebrew Bible, just a Greek Bible here, match it up with the English. What I would want you to see is this word first. That word first is actually translated, it's protos. Protos in the Greek is the word before. So what Luke is saying is before Quirinius was governor of Syria, all of these things took place. So what Josephus is saying, what Luke's gospel is actually saying in its original language, I know that the word first sort of throws this off, but I would also let you know this. A lot of people won't tell you if you go through any sort of history. Corinius had two, he served two terms. He was governor of Syria for three years. He took a year off and then he came back. His second term was from 6 to 9 AD. I'm not going to get into that because first is the word protost in the Greek, which means before. So, a, Greek, a Jewish historian is giving us evidence. Let me keep going. I don't want to get tied into that. Verse 3. And all went to be registered, each to his hometown, or to his hometown, own hometown. So this idea of being registered, I means the census was taking place. And historically, the Romans did this. And as they were doing this, I want you to know that the registration was ordered by Caesar Augustus. However, each to his own town, that was not a Roman law. That was a Jewish law. At this point, Judah still oversaw the Jewish law. And they recommended, they didn't recommend, they demanded that everyone go to their hometown so they could keep up with the 12 tribes. Those of you who spent the last year studying the Bible with us in Genesis, you know why that was important. And so that was the Jewish law. Let me keep going here. Verse 4, it says, And Joseph also went up. Oh, let me go, go back one verse. Let me say this. I want to say this. This is important. The reason they're being registered, just keeping the, along the lines of history, they're being registered, one, for military. Caesar wanted to know how big his military was, who he could go fight, who had possibility to fight him. The second thing was taxes. How much is it going to cost for us to make our roads, to build our colosseums, Are you not entertained? And so, all right, now the next verse. Verse four. And Joseph also went up from Galilee. Now, just so you know, we're gonna move a little bit from historical to geographical. Luke is doing a masterful job putting together a document that is not a Bible story. It is actually documenting history. So he's doing geographically now. He says, and Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. This is going to come back. So the city of David is called Bethlehem. Because, there was, because he was from the house and the lineage of David. So the word Bethlehem, Bethlehem, the first part of that word is bait, which means family or house. The second is lchem, which means bakery or bread. And so the house of bread, that's what Bethlehem means. But he's actually documenting here, and he's saying he went from Galilee, which is Nazareth, to Bethlehem. And if you go over there today and you travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, you're going to realize, well, wait a second. I'm heading south, not north. Why does it say here? Geographically that I would be heading up. Well, it's because Bethlehem is actually on a mountain. Even though you're going south, you're still climbing up the mountain. And so geographical evidence that Luke from eyewitnesses, was documenting how they actually journeyed. Verse five. Verse five it says, "They were going to Bethlehem to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child." Now this is good. This is so good. OK, verse six. And while they were there, it came time for her to give birth. Her being Mary, birth to Jesus. Now this is where this gets crazy. This is the first of 300 plus fulfilled prophecies that Jesus actually fulfilled. So the first one was that he was going to be born in Bethlehem 400 years before they made this journey a prophet by the name of Micah. In Micah chapter five, verse two, Micah actually proclaimed that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. This is one of 300 plus prophecies that Jesus fulfills. Now this is where it gets astonishing, okay? There's a guy by the name of Dr. Peter Stoner. He wrote a book called Science Speaks. I own this book and years ago, I actually gave this book to someone who was questioning their faith because they wanted scientific proof that God existed. This is back before Evidence that Demands a Verdict was around. And so I gave this book away, and that guy ran off. I've never seen the guy again since. But now, if you want to buy Dr. Peter Stoner's book, Science Speaks, you can go on Amazon, Google, you can do it yourself. It's two to 800 sometimes $1,200 to buy one of these books. It's crazy. But he writes this book, and what Dr. Stoner actually documents in here is he goes through the probability, he goes through creation, he goes through some amazing stuff, but he does a probability study where he takes six 100 scientists, they're actually all still students at university, from multiple universities. He brings them together, and they do a probability. What is the probability that one person could fulfill eight prophecies from the time Jesus is born to the 20th century? And what they came up with, which was double-checked, by the way, by a third-party scientific society, checked out to be, 10 to the 17th power, that's the probability. Now, let me, let me just do this real because I need you to get this. These are easy ones. Born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. Um, it was uh, sold for 30 pieces of silver. That silver would buy land. It was the crown of thorns, would be crucified. I mean, they were eight of the easiest prophecies that you could really think of to be fulfilled. Eight of them, 10 to the 17th power. Well, I didn't understand what that means because I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a meteorologist. I have no idea what any of this stuff means. And so I was looking for some assistance. And so Dr. Peter Stoner gives us assistance, and he says this. He says, to put it into perspective, if you were to take silver dollars, to understand 10 to the 17th power, silver dollars, and you were to try to store them up, there would be no place to store them. And so we would scatter them over the state of Texas, two feet deep, over the entire state of Texas. If you picked up one of those silver dollars, put a Sharpie mark on it, threw it back in the pile, mixed it all up, then sent a guy in Oklahoma, put a blindfold on him, kid him a helicopter, flew him over Texas. He says, put me down. And wherever he comes down, he's going to drop straight down on the silver dollar that was marked. That's the probability that Jesus, that anyone could fulfill just eight of the prophecies. I need you to have this in your mind because Jesus fulfilled 300 plus It's insanity. And so, here's our struggle though. I I can give you a Science Speaks book. I could give you evidence that demands, we could go through all the Bible together, but here's the fundamental problem. Let us show you a fundamental problem. The first prophecy being fulfilled there. Here we go, verse seven. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swallowing cloth. Now, this is also historically accurate because they would wrap them in swallowing cloth because they actually, this is, they believed, the ancient world believed that would keep their bones straight. And so we still, you know, burrito our babies, but we say it's for comfort. They did it to keep their bones straight. I'm sure there was some for the fact, for the fact of comfort as well. But manger, you know that this is not what the manger looked like. The manger was actually hewn out of stone. So it would have been just a stone piece that would have been carved out of the top. They put water in it. They put food in it. It was feeding and drinking troughs for their animals. Jesus was wrapped in this cloth to keep his bones straight and then laid down in a feeding trough. This is the story as it unfolds. And it says he's there because there was no place for them in the end. Now, most traditional Christmas messages say, isn't it a shame that there's no room for Jesus here? The reality is, is for many people, there's no room for Jesus in our lives. There's no room for the Jesus that we worship, that we come and sing about and celebrate in our day-to-day life. It's a Christmas thing for us. It's not actually a day-to-day thing for us. And they would kind of end there. But I wanna answer the question, why? Why is there no room for Jesus in many people's lives in the world that we live in today? When you have the historical evidence, documentation over the course of time that makes it indisputable that Jesus of Nazareth walked on this earth, why is it that people still struggle to actually follow Jesus? Why is this? Well, it's because in my opinion, Jesus is a Bible story character. He is lost the historical figure and become a Bible story for children rather than historical figure that men and women should bow down and fall on their face to surrender to. And and I look at this and I say, it's because we've forgotten the fact, think about how crazy this is, the reliability of the scripture. It's phenomenal. The Bible was written over the course of 15 to 1,600 years. Now it's actually 66 books pulled together over that 1,600 years and it tells one story. Now these 66 books written over the course of 1,500 years were written on three different continents, three different languages by 40 different authors. And do you know that from this book that was written, inspired by God, written over the course of 1,600 years, there have been 23,000 archeological finds that they used solely the Bible to find. Take even deeper than that. In the last 2,000 years, there has not been a single archeological find that ever contradicts the scriptures historically laying it out, not one, not one. And so I find myself struggling because if, I were to, if we were just doing an experiment and we were to take, let's pretend that we had somebody in Asia and we say, hey, write a chapter. We waited a hundred years, we went down to South America, another continent, another language. Hey, will you write one chapter for me? They write a chapter. And let's skip 200 years and let's go to Africa. We'll go to one of our Ethiopian churches and say, hey, just write a chapter. Now we're over the course of 1400 years three continents, three different languages, and it's not three books, it's three chapters, what story do you think that would tell? How much sense would it make? See, the thing is, 2 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, 2 Timothy, sorry, tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed. That is not going to be God-breathed. It's going to be a bunch of nonsense, and it's not going to make any sense, but the Scriptures It all points us to a truth. And Luke is saying to us, he's like, guys, I need you to hear this. Let me go in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. Again, just a time stamp for us, a cultural stamp for us. And it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. This is crazy. because like, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Luke is it, speaking to eyewitnesses and he's getting this story. Can you imagine what he was feeling? One generation removed. What, you tell me, God showed up? <laughs> what? There was glory. What did the glory look like? It was light, it was shine. But what did it look like? Like, can you imagine the information he wanted as he's listening to this? The glory existed, not just then. Luke is documenting this so that the glory of God's word exists for us today. The truth today. Not what it was, but what it is today. We were sitting around our, our Christmas tree as a family, and um, my wife and I, uh, we, we were high school sweethearts. And our, my junior year, yeah, I robbed the cradle. She was a freshman. I took her to prom. I know it's weird, right? And so, there's a picture of us from that prom. And the kids were looking at it like, oh, look at that. Look at all that hair. Yeah, 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 It hurts. And then my wife says, I know, look at that. Wasn't he handsome? I don't know. I, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, excuse me. She goes, no, no, no. I mean, you're still, I mean, you know, you're still handsome. But wasn't he handsome? She spoke in past tense and it cut me to the core. Luke is not letting us go to the past tense. He's not saying, wasn't the scripture amazing? Wasn't the power and the glory of God incredible? He's like, isn't God amazing? Isn't he powerful? Isn't he our savior? Like he is bringing it very personal. And so Luke is not writing a Bible story. He is documenting history. And while he's documenting history, he goes on and he says this, Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For all the people. It's past, present, and future. I am bringing good news. It's for everyone. And now verse 11. This is where Luke, I think, got a little bit confrontational in his writing. He says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. City of David, what is that? Say it out loud. It's Bethlehem. It's Bethlehem. Indisputable, indisputable that Bethlehem existed. Indisputable that Jesus existed or was born in Bethlehem according to all historical documentation. Indisputable that Caesar Augustus called for a decree. Indisputable that they actually, the Jews actually spread out and went to their hometowns. Indisputable, I can show you book after book after book, not Bible sources, but historical data where Jews were actually traveling to their hometowns, specifically to Bethlehem. Today we could go to Bethlehem. It's indisputable, I wouldn't recommend it, but you could go today. It's indisputable. Watch this. It says, city of David, a savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is Jesus. Indisputable that Jesus of Nazareth walked on planet Earth. There are eyewitness accounts. There is written documentation. There are artifacts. There is everything that measures both Probability, scientifically, historically, everything points us and puts us in enough of a bowl and a bowl or bucket that we can say it's indisputable that Jesus walked on earth. And so what Luke's done here is he says, look, it's indisputable. Bethlehem, real place, real time, during the reign of Caesar Augustus, Jesus was born. Indisputable. But he says, Here's the debate. Luke says, here's the debate. Is he your savior? Indisputable that Bethlehem exists, indisputable that Jesus of Nazareth, but what is up for debate is have you allowed him to be savior of your life? Have you studied scholarship, allowed God to prompt your heart, tugs on your heart? Have you allowed yourself to set just enough, not in the rules of this world and not even in the church, not church stuff. I am over the church world. I'm talking about Jesus. And the historical evidence and what Jesus called us to be. You know, Luke spent the rest of his gospel identifying who Jesus was historically. He spent the rest of his gospel saying, identifying that we had sinned against God. And the only way that we could be reconciled back to God was through faith in Jesus. Luke spent the entire gospel centered on this, focused on this, surrounded around this. But it was verse 11. It's right here. It's right there. It's a centerpiece of Luke's good news. All the history he documents, all the people that he documents, namely Jesus of Nazareth, indisputable. What is up for debate is, is he your savior? And I think what a great thing for us on Christmas, just to set in for just a moment. So right where you sit with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I'm gonna ask you, not do you like church, so I'm asking you. Not do you like Christians, That's so what so I'm asking you. What I want to know in this room is, have you ever scholarship studied the life of Jesus of Nazareth deep enough, extensively enough, to be able to understand that he walked on this planet? Have you studied his life enough to understand why he came to this planet? Have you studied his life enough to know what he proclaimed? He proclaimed that he loved you, And that in order for you to have a relationship with God, you had to put your faith in him. And Luke in chapter two, verse 11, he's saying, have you accepted the fact that Jesus is your savior? Not Caesar Augustus who puts it on monuments or plaques, that he's the savior of the world. I'm asking you, have you allowed Jesus to be your savior? And that's what Luke is dealing with here. And to be honest with you, here we are 2000 years later, Gathered on Christmas Eve in 114 degree weather. And I'm asking you, is Jesus your Savior? If you can't answer that question, you know in your heart that, and you need Jesus to be your Savior. Right where you said, would you just pray with me? God, today, I have never considered some of the historical, some of the facts. I've only captured what the, church or the things of the church world say, but today, Lord, I feel something. I feel the prompting of your spirit. And today I confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord. He is my savior. I confess today that I have sinned against you. And God, today I repent of my lack of faith, of my sin. And I call you my God, because that is what you are worthy of being called. So today, if this is you, pray this prayer, God, today, I accept your son, Jesus, as my savior. Based on what Luke's gospel presents, I trust, I trust. And you tell us that faith of a mustard seed moves a mountain. God, in the scriptures, you tell us that you look for the faith of a child. So God, I believe that enough evidence has been laid before us today for us to say yes. Yes, Jesus is our savior. God, I pray over every man, woman and child who prayed that prayer, who surrendered their life. I thank you for the evidence that you give us all the way through scripture. Cover to cover, you point us to the fact that you love us and that there is a savior, his name is Christ Jesus. And today we celebrate his coming to us In Jesus' name, everybody in the place said. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen. In that same vein, we're gonna sing along.